What were Dean Smith and John Terry laughing about when Douglas Louise kicked that ball out of play? Should have picked Nakamba. <laughs> Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a love. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Life is too short to watch games of football that involve Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves just suck the life out of every game that they seem to play and They suck the life out of life, to be honest. They're so boring that it's painfully frustrating. Like, I mean, it's actually painful. I, I noticed myself getting really angry, unreasonably angry, even by my standards, at that game today. And... You think about it in the context, like your villa aren't going well, so you are probably a bit more hyped up, ready to go. But, you know, I don't want to be one of these people, but like, you know, a draw against Wolves, four points against Wolves in the season is fine, but it's just so hard to watch. It's physically hard to watch that you can't help yourself get annoyed. They just drain everything. It reminds me of um, Ireland under Martin O'Neill, where... It was a good tactic almost because they just bored the opposition. They just these games became non-events, and then sometimes Ireland would spring and get someone. And a lot of the times, like Wolves tonight, they would just get the draw and go home. Kelly Cates actually said it perfectly after the match when they were showing some highlights. They were showing a, a fifteen-second package, and she said the highlights actually look good. But um, don't be uh, don't be fooled, this wasn't a, wasn't a great game. And to that end, I don't really have much to talk about at the top of the show. So I thought I'd bring the Ronnie Rosenthal award forward because there were a few incidents. I have five down here from both teams. So Liam, I think we'll just get straight into the Ronnie Rosenthal award, if you're okay with it. I'm fine with that, Conan, yeah. <laughs> Ollie Watkins passing it to Trarori. I mean, he's sat down the defender. Like, he's, he's done everything. He's taken him on the outside, and he's cut back perfectly. Put him on his arse. Put the thing away. Tries to pass it to Traore, of all people, who's being murked. Just slam the ball home. He's just after... <laughs> he's just after crashing the crossbar from 32 yards out. Well, wasn't that far out. But, you know, like what? where was the confidence then just to slam the ball home or roll it into the net? It was a um, big, big chance. I've got... I've got four more underneath this, and you probably know the four, but they're from two from Villa and two from Wolves. And I think this is just as bad as those four. Yeah, there comes a point where you have to question the quality of your wingers when you're thinking, you know what, I, I would prefer Ollie Watkins having a ridiculously audacious, completely speculative spank from 25 <laughs> yards rather than put Trezeguet through one yeah. on one with the keeper. But if I'm saying I want them shooting from 25 yards, I certainly fucking want him shooting from six <laughs> instead of trying to pick out Bertie T. I mentioned this last week from a similar situation. It is, it is as likely that Watkins will score from there, even with Sice closing the space down, yeah. as it is that he'll pick out Bertie T and that Bertie T will score. Like that, that, was, that was a much more difficult thing to do, never mind the terrible execution. It reminded me of Jack Grealish, and it's a good comparison because Grealish sets up these chances for himself. We love everything about Jack Grealish, and the same with Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins cuts a lone figure out there, like you know, when he, he just plows away like time after time himself. 
and he makes so much out of so little. But then when it comes down to it, sometimes he's just like, just put it away. The same with Grealish. Like he tries to take a pass on our three players or he tries to be too clever, overthinks it instead of just playing on instinct and slamming the ball home. I wonder with he because he had a few shots and there was a few blocks and he hit that one from the crossbar instead of putting Trez through. Was he was he overthinking in the terms of thinking, I'm being too greedy here. I better start passing it. I don't want to fuck this one up. But yeah, he does incredibly. John McGinn does brilliantly. Like he was, like he did all during the first half, and Watkins, to be fair, does incredibly and makes Cody, and by extension Gareth Southgate look like a tit. But once <laughs> you've done that, put the ball in the net. Otherwise, you're just gonna make yourself look like a tit. Kanza won. Um, <laughs> like he, it's, it's a good touch because the ball's come through a crowded area, and he's gotten it in front of himself, and he's just stretching. I know he's stretching, but. I don't even know if he has to be stretching that much. And I, even at that, I don't know if he has to be getting his toe on it. I think he should be putting that away. Ah, uh, like he has to stretch. He's leaning back. But let's be honest, he's also a footballer. He needs to be scoring from there. Yeah. Did you hear Connor Cody afterwards when um, they talked to him about, well, his two chances really, the one he hit off the post and then the one he, he turned around and Emmy Martinez was in his face. But he was just saying, like, it doesn't matter if my first goal was during the week doesn't matter if I scored 100 goals. Like, I should be putting that away regardless of, of what my record is. Like, they were two big chances and I should have had two goals. And I think the exact same with Ezra Konza. Yeah, I think Cody's probably been a bit hard on himself. The one that hit the post, he controls the header really well and he does beat one of the best keepers in the world. Um, and it just hits off the inside of the post. I think he's, he's unlucky. Martinez is making himself huge and he's jumping across him and all. It was a, a miss from Cody. Uh, but Kanza, you expect more from him. I mean, if Kanza wants to be considered in the same vein as Beckenbar, Berezi, McGrath, then he has <laughs> to start putting these chances away. It's 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 two sitters, and one at least one of them has to go in. The, the second one, let's talk about that. Like, how satisfying would that have been? Now, I know there's no crowd there, but my God, it's the 93rd minute. And again, like, it's it's dropped for him in the box. Like, he's, he's, took, he's taken the first touch well. And this time he's got a chance to just volley it anywhere. Like he hits that hard, it's going in. And he shit himself and just hit it into the stands. Like that's the winning of the game. Like you know, that that even had Jack Grealish looking up from his phone <laughs> to keep an eye on it. You know, like that ah, like that would have been an unbelievable feeling for him just to hammer the net there and Villa have stolen a win again against Wolves. Yeah, you know, it's a, a big moment in the match whenever Jack Grealish has stopped scrolling through up the stats, trying to figure out if he's caught up with Kevin De Bruyne and chances created yet. <laughs> Jack Grealish would have you know that he's actually ahead of <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne and chances created, behind on assists. Uh, Saiz, you mentioned him, like from the Cody off the post. Like that was that was probably the worst of them all. Like he is, he's two yards out. That is that classic... Like that's harder to miss. It's actually really impressive that he has missed that. Two inches out, like it's it's yeah. that it's really really impressive. And maybe it's just because he's a centre half, he's used to getting his foot into that position to knock it over the bar. You know, whenever a defender gets that over the bar, it's incredible. <laughs> it was much it was just the same there. And maybe he's just practiced it too much in the other direction. And the Connor Cody one, where. I don't know what he was expecting. Like, even he, he was trying to sort of give a bit of an excuse for himself afterwards. He said he turned around and, and Martinez was there. But, like, of course he was there. And, and, like, 
even at that, he's turned around and he he still actually I think he's got a bit of time between seeing him and what he does, and he just tries to to roll it in like anywhere else or a bit more power, and that's going in like it's a. I think the two Wolves ones were worse than any of the Villa ones, to be honest, and that's why it's uh it's a bit easier to accept this result. Yeah, I was like, Sai Sai's is stretching for his. Cody is a centre half being faced with a big goalkeeper closing them down. But I think Kanza has to roof the second one. That like that has to go in because he's even if he is a centre half, he's just standing up straight in the box with time, just spank the ball into the net. So this is interesting. I think we're in agreement that Sice wins this award. But <laughs> I I want to rank the Villa ones because I actually thought that Kanza's first one, because I haven't watched back a replay of the second one. Like you're right, he is standing up straight. He still needs to just bury it. You know, but there's somebody closing him down, so that's why he freaks out and hits it earlier and slices it high and wide. You know, he doesn't have all the time in the world. He still should absolutely score. But I still think the first one is the worst because he just like he's got an open net basically. He just has to put it in and he's hit it off the crossbar. Look, we'll give him two awards. We'll give we'll give him we'll give him the Ronnie, Ronnie Rosenthal award and the Ryan Giggs award, who had a very very similar chance in an FA Cup, <laughs> remarkably similar to Ronnie Rosenthal's. What did you think of the midfield? Um, I was pretty excited to see Sanson and. Yeah, well, actually, we're, we're going to talk a bit more about Sanson later, but we can don't be afraid to to step on it now because I like the. I like the pace that he has. You don't often see a centre midfielder with that much pace. And um Yeah, like he's he's a bit of agility, nice footwork, nice shape to him. I like the cut of his jib, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and I liked Douglas like Douglas Louise wasn't amazing, but <laughs> it's always the comparison with the camera because it's like, well, what do you want? And and I actually think that Douglas Louise is part of the reason that McGinn played so well and maybe Sanson on top of that. Because when you're not playing the camba, you have a ball player there who's taking the ball. So everybody shifts up the pitch. You know, when the ball is being played further up the pitch. And yeah, it frees up McGinn to run in and get off Watkins and get out to the wing and just be that ball of energy that makes him so good. And I think Douglas Louise helps. And I thought the midfield three was a was a good combination. Well, let's let's just be clear here. In the first half and the second half is two completely different games. Yeah. Uh the first half we were very good tactically. We had a few technical cock-ups and a few sitters that we missed that we mentioned. But the connections were good, the running was good, the angles were good, the interplay, the Ollie Watkins, it was all there. Wolves were shite. We were overrunning them. Adama Trori is finished if he ever really started. <laughs> Neto was up against Matt Target. Never doubted him for a second. But the second half was completely different. I mean, we, we can't keep coming away from games with Emmy, Esri, Mings and Watkins as the only players that can be proud of their performance. And there's a big gap between those and a lot of players who are supposed to be between them and a lot of players who are doing fuck all. Sanson is a very modern footballer, isn't he? He's technically very good. He can dribble. He's got pace. He can pass. And he's kept He's really kept pace with the progression of the sport. He knows he has to put in an incredible amount of work off the ball as well, and he does. Yeah. I don't think he was brilliant. I think he did well, but he was a bit inconsistent with his passing in the first half. And the first 15 minutes of the second half, I thought he was anonymous. What he did do, though, was give me some excitement for the future. 
I, I, do, I do like the look of the middle three on paper anyway. There's a lovely balance to it. And the first half, particularly, we absolutely dominated the middle third. It actually made Dean Smith's own previous decisions to play just McGinn, Dougie, and the ghost of Barkley past against midfield threes look even more stupid because you can really see the damage the three against two does in that first half tonight. And yeah, it, it, like it, it sets you up in attack and defense. Like you're right, like the work that Sanson went through. I, I agree. Like I, I wasn't coming away thinking, "Whoa, Sanson was amazing there tonight." I was just excited, and it's like, "Oh yeah, we've got a bit of a player here." And like I say, even just, even just the shape of his body. Yeah, <laughs> like I just, I like it. And you mentioned the work rate. Like he was flying back on Pedro Neto. Because, you know, that's a, that's a mismatch sort of pace-wise with Target, who did really well, by the way, to just keep Neto on the outside of him and then block. Like, I thought Target did perfectly there, because what else can you do? You're one-on-one. It's a counter-attack. This guy's got 10 miles an hour on you. He kept up with it. He actually gave himself, you know, he started sprinting way before Neto did, knowing that this was trouble. And then his slide and block cut off that channel of a shot across Martinez. So he had to, he had to go high to the near post and and Martinez's big palm was there. Let, I'll let you respond to that first before I get back to Sanson. Yeah, it was really, really impressive performance overall from Target because there is nothing worse than playing against somebody who is just faster than you. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you have to just be very clever. You have to know when to go, know when to stay. And your ang- the angles of your running is very important. And you just have to be really decisive of everything you do. And Matt Target, yet again, gave us that. But I, I like you feel really sorry for people in that situation because they are in for a tough night where their concentration has to be absolutely bang on Yeah. because they are just there to be spread on toast because Neto is probably twice as fast as Matt Target. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I really liked about Sanson as well was the concentration element of it. I think maybe I had this idea of him coming from a coming from a foreign country coming from a new league and being a new signing it might take a a while to be switched on to the villa way as if you know as if villa Bo- villa's boys wouldn't be asking him to track back and you the fucking sean dice of podcasting Tom. <laughs> yeah i haven't been talking to school coaches i don't know what sort of character this kid is <laughs> But he, he was more than willing to get back and it turned out it was a bit of an injury that forced him off in the end. You mentioned Adama Trori. I think we actually talked about this the last time Villa played Wolves. Like, surely this myth is over with now. Like, I, I don't think that I've... I've seen little sparks from Adama Trori sometimes, but it's all reliant on speed. Like, and I know he has speed, so this is a mad hypothetical, but if he doesn't have speed, he doesn't have anything. Like, he, nothing. He's not like a particularly good crosser. Like I, I wouldn't say that he's better than anybody at crossing. Like you know, he's probably just grand with a lot of people. Um, I don't know if he's clever. I, I, he's not a particularly good shot on him. I don't know what it is that that marks him out as class. Every time I see him, he's very average at best. Like tonight, he, he wasn't good. Like his first touch, continuously lost in the ball. Elmo. <laughs> Elmo had a, a very good game but like sure what would you expect he's got an easy job marking Adama Traore and yeah like it, it always seems that Traore's stock goes up when I'm not watching Wolves games and this is always like for a period of about four matches 
and you hear some people raving about him, people who probably haven't watched the game either, maybe he's just gotten two assists in that period. Maybe Nuno has just said something about him. And then his stock rises right up. Then I tune in to watch a Wolves game and he's either injured, he's on the bench, or he's playing like that. Or he's getting outplayed by Almo. <laughs> yeah. His entire career is predicated on Pep Guardiola deciding to play Fernandinho at centre-half and Nuno Espirito Santo playing a goalkeeper, nine defenders, and Adama Traore on Fernandinho's shoulder. <laughs> and that is the only time that people watch Wolves play whenever they're playing against Man City or another big team that play a high line. And then, of course, everybody thinks he's good because he's destroying 34-year-old former centre midfielder Fernandinho for pace over the top. Yeah. Like, yes, he, he looks good in that scenario. But if you take away somebody's pace and their shit, then they're just shit. <laughs> and that is a perfect segue into WhatsApp when you see there. Jesus, we actually got a, a long top of the shoe there for, for nothing to talk about that much. Just give us more Adama Terori and we'll, we'll riff. What's up, Winges? Matt Target, by the way, has been docked a week's wages for kicking a cross out for a goal kick. So um, I'll, uh, I'll keep his right on that. Elmo didn't do it tonight, so it's only Matt Target who is <laughs> being fined a week's wages for that nonsense. If anybody's missed the previous podcast, any fullback... And it ha- I don't know why this is a a thing. This is like <laughs> this is like the horse racing community. You know when the first picture of Gordon Elliott came out, and then there's another picture of somebody else involved, involved in horse racing on top of a dead horse. And it's like, why is this a trend? <laughs> why why has this happened more than once? And yeah, the fact that fullbacks crossing the ball out for a goal kick happens more than once. Most of the time in, in one game is incredible. So it's the same sort of thing. So Matt Target, I did say that every time that happens, they should be fined a week's wages. Not banned for six weeks. Six months, like Gordon Elliott. What the fuck are we talking about? We. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do it. First WhatsApp winch. You've no problem shooting from 30 yards, but you won't just roll it in from six yards. Like- <laughs> I mean, your uh, decision to bring the the Ronnie Rosenthal award to the top of the show doesn't really pay off here, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. We all know who that is. It's Ollie Watkins. But just a quick note on it. He has carried over the John McGinn bad habit from Wednesday night where he's winding up his shot and letting everybody in the vicinity know that if you want to come and try and block me, let's do it right now because I'm about to shoot. I'm about to shoot. Oh, yeah, you did. Well done. You blocked me. Yeah. Like, come on. I, I felt a bit of sympathy for him because Sice does close down the angle, but Sice sells himself as as readily as Connor Cody does, and I think he can, I think he can even just get a quick touch out of his foot there and just roll it. He's so close to goals. There's somebody closing down Bertie T, and it's Bertie T you're trying to pass it to. Just put <laughs> it in the fucking net. Second WhatsApp winch. This isn't the fucking French league now, mate. <laughs> What did he do this time? Spend too long on the ball? Yeah, well, it was early on and uh, Sadlin into the box, was he? Yeah. It's like, how easy do you think this is? I actually did have that bit of xenophobia with regards to football leagues where I was like, hey, come on, this is the Premier League. This is English football. You're not going to get that much time on the ball here, laddie. 
none of your Killian Mbappe mambo jumbo around here. <laughs> yeah. And and then he, he ended up compounding it. Now maybe had he, but he got back well, but ended up just committing the foul and getting a yellow card. And it's like all that because you thought you could just stroll around seven players in the box. He was moving far too slowly to be trying to dribble past that many players, wasn't he? It was yeah, it was bad. But like to be fair, he got back, took his yellow card. At least he recovered. He recovered well, yeah. Like I thought for the next fifty odd minutes, whatever he was on, um, that was and it was good for him, a good test for him because I was out to get him from that stage. <laughs> I was looking for little things to show that this league on player isn't going to cut it in the best league in the world. Third WhatsApp wins. Villa are the worst team at fouling the opposition when they're hacking the ball clear. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, when the Wolves player is under so much pressure and all he can do is just head it anywhere. Sometimes they're just heading it anywhere and a Villa player will come in late and foul them and give them the free and move them all up the pitch and just lose any momentum that you had. It's it's this changeover from just being a slower, you know, two blocks of four like we were after, um, after the lockdown and then trying to get back into a team that pressurized further up the pitch. We just can't do it. We're fucking shit at it. Every time somebody's got the ball, we we win back a fair amount of ball, but yeah, that persistent fouling whenever the ball is getting kicked out for a throw-in is unbelievably irritating. Especially tonight, because like what was so good about the first half in particular, and you saw bits of it in the second half. I know they were outplayed in the second half, but they just had a nice shape where I thought that Mings and Konza had stepped further forward. And again, I thought a lot of that was down to the midfield too. So Villa... Definitely had a bit more impetus, and I think they they were backing themselves a bit more pace wise, even against the like of Adama Traore and Pedro Neto. Like they they were stepping in front of their men, so every time Wolves tried to clear it, Villa got it back and put them under more pressure again. And he didn't need Trezeguet just barging into someone a minute later. Like, oh, what are you doing? Like, just see, like a lot of time they're clearing it out for a throw in, and you've just given them a free kick. No, we, we absolutely battered Wolves in the first half, and had Jack Grealish been playing, I know it's a big or an easy statement to say because Jack Grealish is infinitely better than Trezeguet, but if we had had any winger on the pitch tonight, we would have scored a couple of goals in that first half because we had everything right. Yeah, the two centre-halves were stepping into the play well. The three midfielders were doing well, and Ollie Watkins was unbelievable. He was everywhere. I don't think I've ever seen somebody other than Jack Grealish be quite so involved in a game as Ollie Watkins was in that first half wasn't always good, but it's, it is always good to be involved in the game. And yeah, it's just a shame that it was it was Trezeguet and Bertie T and couldn't take advantage of it. I am so exasperated with the offside rule. Now, this is a, this is a byproduct again of this dull match. And I have to say, t- Conan, this is a very eloquent and long WhatsApp whinge. <laughs> Well, the wind ended after rule, and I'm explaining it. If you would let me explain it, Liam. <laughs> but like, it was just, do you know how, again, how frustrating everything becomes when you're playing Wolves and every time you give them a, a free kick or you, you let the momentum go away by, by an offside over the top or whatever. And I came up with an amazing new rule. <laughs> I suppose you're right. This is a, a more thought out WhatsApp wind. The offside player can't score. And that's it. Just just let everybody play them because you're just oh, like, especially in games like tonight when the when the whole play stops because somebody in the corner of the pitch 
has gone ahead of the ball by a, a couple of seconds. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the play. Like, just, just now he can't score. And that's it. We can all play on. The flag goes up and the ref knows that Trezeguet, whoever it is, cannot cannot score. And as soon as he passes, the flag goes down. I, you and I both love football. Let's not dick around with the sport we love by <laughs> needlessly changing the rules. I mean, how does that even work? Does Is he ever allowed to score? Or... Do we have to start talking about phases of play or he can score in a second touch? What happens? He has to, it's like an indirect free kick sort of now. It's an indirect play. He has to has to find somebody else. He can't shoot either. Do you know those tossers that went off and created hexagon football where there's three nets? <laughs> Don't you go off and create your own offside rule football? <laughs> Why would you not have your studs ready? What did Ross Barkley think was happening today? When I mean, he came to Villa Park and put on these things on his feet, like he's a football player. What's he doing? Like, what, what was he? Did, did he warm up? What was he? Was he kicking around before the game? Did he warm up during the match? Suddenly, Ross Barkley's getting ready to come on, and he's he's tightening his studs and, and seem, seemingly putting on new studs. He was playing at home as well, so he had plenty of time to figure out what the fucking pitch was like. <laughs> I mean, Ross Barkley. Looked like he was keen to get onto that pitch and prove a point. Unfortunately for us, it was the point he was trying to make was that Dean Smith was right to drop him. Yeah. Like, I don't want to preempt the Peter Ankelman what the fuck award, but what the fuck was he playing at in the 76th <laughs> minute? Well, he's got time, he's got space, he's in the box, oh, he's in a world of his fucking own. And again, I don't mind people trying things, trying to keep the ball, but it better fucking make sense. Which it didn't, because the best way for us to keep the ball there is for Barkley to fucking control it. Yeah. And it better be fucking pulled off as well, which it wasn't, because it goes to Neto in our six-yard box. Ross Barkley couldn't have played himself out of the team anymore than coming on with 30 minutes to save the game and just doing that, whatever it was you consider he did in those 30 minutes. And I actually think... Your point stands regardless of that play. I think he played himself further down the pecking order, even without that, because all he did was come too deep. Like, you know, he didn't see Sanson coming for that handy ball. He came far too deep. He came beyond Douglas Louise at Tyrone Mings' shoulder. There's one stage you could see Mings say, nah, like, go up. I, yeah. I, I've got it here. I don't need you taking it off me. So you're almost a player down then because you have somebody coming looking for an easy ball. And then he could play it across to Konza and, and jog back into a crowded area again where he's no longer an option. And he ran into trouble again a couple of times. Like just, yeah, it's, it's like, where, where do you see yourself now? Like that, that's one of the questions that I was thinking about him or what, what was he thinking? Where does he rank himself right now? Because the players, I think, definitely see that he's fallen down. And does he know that? Because he doesn't seem to be trying to, to prove anybody wrong. The first thing I can remember him doing is coming sprinting in between the two center the two center backs to get the ball, which is fine. That's what you want your midfielder to do: get the ball and turn around and control the game. But he just drilled it straight back to Emmy Martinez. Yeah. What was the fucking point of that? Who the what exactly? What do you think you are? I remember playing a game of five beside before, and it was the most demeaning thing that ever happened to me in a football pitch. Was. There was a guy playing and he was better than me and he had the ball and I came wandering in beside him and he just said to me, I don't need you there. And I was like, yeah, you're 
you're right you don't what the fuck am i doing coming in here <laughs> the only reason i'm coming in here is because i was being marked up there and i didn't like it yeah so i'm just wandering in here to get a touch of the ball for no fucking reason and that's what i was thinking about the the old ship not not that i'm pining for it but when he was number 10 it at least forced him to be at number 10 so when he was getting the ball, yeah, he was getting it where he was getting it in positions that might have been useful for the team. A lot of the time it wasn't because he he stood over the top of it or he ran into trouble or he just tried to flick or whatever. Like, but sometimes it did pay off because he he could sometimes hold the ball there and then find somebody else or get off Ollie Watkins. But in this shape, he is just happy to sort of dissolve into the and dilute himself into the the mixture. Do you know where you can see him again? Even in the second half when he was a bit quieter, he's busting his balls trying to make a run in behind or, or give somebody an option. Even Trezeguet, like, you know, Trezeguet's running around everywhere. Like, that's that's the beauty of Trezeguet. He's just showing wherever he can. And Barkley is on there. You've got 30 minutes now. Sanson's actually gone off of an injury. I'm bringing you on ahead of young Ramsey, who was ahead of you the last two games. Like, this is your chance now. Like you you were talking about England. <laughs> we were talking about England before he signed his contract. People were saying that we should sign you in January. Go out now and fucking be that player that you obviously think you are. And, and so it's not even it's not even that he didn't have an impact on the game. It's that he didn't even try. He actually would have preferred if he made more mistakes, not around the villa box, but if he made more mistakes in attack, trying something because I have news for you, mate. Like it's not getting any worse for you. Like, you can't go any lower, so you might as well try something. <laughs> yeah, try something on the ball and fucking try off the ball. You're a creative midfielder. Those are the two things that we want from you. And I said that about Sanson at the start of the show, and it's a nice little full circle now to come back to Ross Barkley because he is not giving us either of those two things. And it's actually fitting that it does set us up nicely for the Peter Inkelman What The Fuck Award. We're going to get into the rest of the categories after this. They've both got incredible horses. The face on some of those lads, like McNeil, Wood. Like, Wood looks like a big, <laughs> a big GA midfielder, doesn't he? Again, we'll use his arse in every scenario. He actually played a blind arse early on in the first half. Does anyone sweat more than Ross Barkley? <laughs> it actually looked like he was going for showers regularly during the game. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? John Walters' arch has never let me down, though. John McGinn's has let me down several occasions this season. <laughs> he was drenched, like absolutely soaking. El Ghazi is too prone to bad runs of form. He had a bit of crack in December and he was due a bad run. He's too patchy, he's too streaky. And that performance was the equivalent of a streak of shit in the toilets of a fucking bus station. 
into somebody else's bosom. Bosom of possession, I mean. You know, like a bosom of possession, I mean. All right, the Peter Inkelman What the Fuck Award. A foul fucking throw. What age are you? <laughs> a foul throw in the Premier League? Grow up. I mean, it, it is funny because only this day... Sorry, it was only three days ago where I was saying I would prefer to see the ball in Elmo's hands as opposed to at his feet <laughs> because he was playing so bad. Christ <laughs> almighty, did I call that one wrong? <laughs> That was bad. Like again, like this stuff. I know it's all compounded when you're playing wolves, and it's just an annoying game. I actually went and made a cup of tea in a huff, <laughs> almost, almost daring something to happen on the TV. Like I went out saying, "I bet nothing's going to happen while I'm out here making a cup of tea," <laughs> and I came. I was like, "Yeah, of course, nothing's happened." Now I might have missed something big, but. I don't think so. That what from what you said so far, I don't think that I've had a bullshit my way through an answer. You are just so rock and roll. I mean, people <laughs> smash up hotel rooms, throw TVs out the window. You <laughs> fucking march out that room and switch the kettle on. <laughs> anyway, cop yourself on Elmo. Throw the ball properly. Uh, this passage of play, there are three what the fuck moments, so we can probably rank these in order. I think this is the least offensive. Martinez throwing it out to Dougie so quickly after he's, he's caught a high ball. And he throws it out to Dougie, who's five metres away from him at the edge of the box. In the middle of the goals, there's a load of Wolves players forward. It's like, that. what, what are you rushing to give him that ball for? Like, whatever Dougie can see, I'm sure Martinez can see it. Then Dougie, thinking he's running down the wing, unmarked as he kicks it 10 metres ahead of himself, straight into a Wolves player. And then on top of that, I think that's the worst one, by the way. And John McGinn then selling himself and just chopping down the Wolves player. Who's surrounded anyway by Villa? Like, Villa have everyone back. It was a set piece. Martinez has caught it. Even, like, what, what is the obsession with players feeling like they have to they have to commit themselves and make that tackle? John McGinn just needs to, to shadow him. Like, Douglas Louise will get back and atone for his mistake. Although... Douglas Weeze will probably just bars in the back of him and give away a 20 meter free kick if experience is anything to go by. But it's just annoying how often a player plants themselves and then hacks a tackle as somebody just skips around them. I have a bit of sympathy for John McGinn because it's a, it's a fucking mess. It's a massive cock up from Dougie and John McGinn's in firefighting mode and he has yeah. to do something. And yeah, it's it's not a good tackle, but say his head is scrambled, and he's like, "We're not fucking losing this game over yet another individual error." There's absolutely no doubt that the the biggest mistake there was from Douglas Louise. It was dreadful because Emmy Martinez comes running out looking for somebody. Nobody wants it, and then Dougie says, "Give it to me," and then Dougie doesn't look up. Why do you want the ball at the edge of your own box if you don't know what's going on around you? I mean, Douglas Louise tonight. He played with all the samba flair that you would expect of someone at the fucking Rio Carnival. <laughs> he was playing like he was pissed, like he was on a four-day bender in the Copacabana. <laughs> he was a fucking shambles. 
I mean, you meant you said he was good earlier on. I completely disagree. He was overhitting, underhitting, and misplacing passes. He was late to the ball, late to the press, late in the tackle. I mean, he was continuously getting caught on the wrong side whenever he was pressing. He was just wrong. He wasn't I, right. Like, he would have been I, more effective just dancing on the halfway line with a sequin skirt and a feller fucking headdress on. <laughs> I, I hate to go full Bill O'Herlihy on you, but don't misquote me. I didn't say he was good. I said he was part of the reason that Sanson and McGinn are further up the pitch because he's not afraid to take the ball and and obviously do a bit of samba dancing as you're referring to. Well, that's all right then. I forgive you. But like again, and it's always it's always relative. Like I'm comparing it to Nakamba. Like I like I always am. It's is that the option? It's either you ha- I think you have to play one or the other, and I I, I would still rather. Douglas Louise, whether he's wearing sequins or not, or whether he's wearing feathers on his head, like I'd rather him because because of that, because of that very reason. Like I, I don't like when he has those head scrambling moments, but I just think you get a bit more in terms of of playing. Oh, you, you get a lot more, but he was just he was too loose tonight. He was especially in the first ten minutes. He kicked a fucking free kick from sixty yards over the end line. Like, <laughs> do me a fucking favor. And the only other nomination I have is Ross Barkley going for an assist at whatever cost. Like that, that was that was so bad. Like you know, it wasn't a touch. Like it wasn't him trying to take it down. He was trying to play that back into the box, and he kicks it from twenty meters out into his own six yard box, straight into Pedro Neto, and like it's gone past two Villa players that he's hit it with that much purpose and conviction. I I can't for the life of me figure out what his plan was there. I think he was just trying to get a, a good connection on the ball and feel good about himself. It, I think that's the worst thing that's happened this season. I, I cannot explain what he what he was thinking there. I mean, you're the big man on the pitch now. Take a touch and just start the counter-attack. What the fuck are you playing it back into your six-yard box? The box is packed. Yeah. Wolves have just had a set piece. What the fuck are you playing at? It was that bad that it easily beats... A foul fucking throw in this category. So congratulations, Ross Barkley. You win the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. You let Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award. Not taking Bertie T off at halftime. What was he going to do? Bring on fucking Ross Barkley? That would have been nominated <laughs> for this category as well. <laughs> I probably was thinking about Ross Barkley, actually. But mm, this hasn't aged well. Because... Like, nobody was going to do worse. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it was going to be grand. Like, it, Bertie T was doing so bad that it, there wasn't any come down from it. Like, it, it wasn't like it was a risk putting anybody else in. Yeah, Bertie T has been on the pitch for a long time the last two games, and he's done absolutely nothing. It's probably his two... Probably his longest period on the pitch about being taken off in the seventieth minute, and both games he was he was fairly anonymous. Apart from that one moment of magic in the last game, he was bad, bad, bad. Well, it's funny you say that because the second nomination is not taking Bertie T off for another thirty-eight minutes after halftime. <laughs> <laughs> like I said at the top of the podcast that life is too short to watch games including or involving Wolverhampton Wanderers but those games against Wolves 
fly by too fast to have Bertrand Ferrari on. Like, playing Wolves is the equivalent of playing FIFA on two minutes a half mode. Do you know what? It's just zipping by and every every glitch in your internet and every delay and every time the ball goes out for a goal kick or a throw-in is infuriating because the time and the clock is just ticking and you cannot afford to have Bertrand Terori just carelessly backheel the ball away or try to tee up somebody who is not even thinking that Bertrand Terori is going to pass it to him. Like was it was it Watkins who tried to just play that off one touch with mm. two Wolves players there who just ran out and set up a counter attack? Like every time Bertrand Terori does that, it feels like another fifteen minutes whiz by on the clock then before Villa have the ball. You can't can't afford to have Bertrand Terori playing in a two minute and a half match. I'll give <laughs> I'll give you the back heel. That was absolutely stupid, and it was to nobody as well. Um, at the pass to Watkins, though, I think Watkins has to realize that Bertrand Terori doesn't have a whole lot of options there and Watkins should probably be expecting the one two because it's on there's space in behind but I think I'm needlessly defending him for one little touch to Watkins <laughs> that resulted in a Wolves counter-attack that he probably shouldn't have played and he was he was bad he was he was either really sloppy on the ball or he wasn't involved in the game at all I can understand why Dean Smith wants to leave him on, though, because of how Wolves play and because of how tight and defensive they are. You do need somebody on there that literally anything can happen whenever he gets the ball. (laughs) You're just hoping that it's something good. The problem I often find is that players just don't know what he's going to do as well. Like That is good sometimes and it's exciting, but it's too hard for players to get on the same wavelength as him because... And this actually comes in little microcosms as well, where he just he plays the ball before anybody's expecting it. You know, where like it, it looks like he's about to take another touch and he just flicks it out of himself. And, you know, people just find it hard to stay on the same the same page as him. And, yeah, and again, on a night like that, it's it's just not not the time for it. Yeah, like, I, and I find, them, I find them very hard to read biomechanically. Sometimes the ball is popping out for him and I don't know how he's done it or how he's got so much pace on it or that type of bend on it. He's, he's a very difficult player to read and that's that's the exciting thing about him from an attacking perspective. If he the gets point it right. is, the, the, the point is, you can't be having a greasy cheeseburger on a Wednesday night and on a Saturday night in the one week. It's too much. It's time for a home-cooked meal third nomination having to move Watkins out to the wing to get Keenan Davis on yeah I mean I was thinking that as well but I mean you've just you've just spent the last couple of minutes complaining about Bertrand Trory Trezeguet was absolutely useless in attack tonight it wasn't just to get Keenan Davis onto the pitch I mean I was thinking that for a second as well but then I realised do you want to try Davis through the middle with Watkins on the left or just persist with Watkins through the middle on his own and no wingers either side? Respect the two up top. Yeah, well, he had already, already thrown his chips in with Barkley, so he couldn't... I don't, think he, I don't think he had the players on the pitch to go to that. Maybe he could have tried a diamond in midfield, but I don't know. Then you're asking Elmo and Target to get up and down and we know that... Both of them don't have the energy to do that, particularly whenever you've got Adama Traore and Neto on the wings for Wolves. You might have just been asking for trouble. Yeah, like this is um 
this is a twofold problem because I don't like seeing Watkins having to move out to the wing to accommodate Davis as well. <laughs> you know, and and no just harm. to be clear, I absolutely never want to see Watkins shunted out to the left wing again. It doesn't work, and you're taking away your only attacking threat tonight. Yeah, I like he actually does all right out there, but like you say, Davis then is is the attacker. <laughs> you know, he's the striker. But I, when I saw Davis coming on, I thought, oh, brilliant! Like we're actually. We're going to change the system because we've been terrible in the second half. And I was thinking as well about the three Wolves centre halves, so this would be good to throw in an extra forward, a big one, who can move them around, who can free up Watkins a bit more. You know, if Davis is taking the ball down or he's going up for a header, like that that will draw at least two of those centre halves to him. And that's all Watkins might need to to get blocked down. But <laughs> you know, but then it's just, it's so unimaginative. It's like, let's just put Davis up top who hasn't scored a Premier League goal and let's move Watkins out to the left. And it's just, it's not getting to the root of the problem, which seemed to be the, I don't want to say the system because Villa were, were good for most of the match. Like I, I say that like barely most of the match, like I mean the first half and then bits of the second half, you know, but they did, they did need something different and they needed a, a different idea and a different shape. Oh yeah, like the Wolves in the second half had completely taken control of the game. Neves and Matinho were on the ball non-stop and I, I can't remember our lads in midfield touching the ball other than Barkley playing a pass into his own six-yard box. <laughs> Fourth nomination, the January transfer window. Here we go again. Like, this is showing up yet again now that you have... Jack Grealish, Cash, and El Ghazi all out injured. And suddenly you have three players injured. One of them who doesn't, wouldn't start in a normal full team. And then you have two youth players on the bench now because of that. Like, House is already out. He's already injured. So when Mings now disappears for eight weeks, like I'm sure he will, and we won't get an update on it, we'll, we'll be told that he'll hope, we hope he's back for the, for the Newcastle match. But... Villa don't take risks with hamstring injuries. Engels will have to play. <laughs> how, how have we got like how have we let ourselves be spread so thin across a you know what's essentially a at least a forty game season with the cups as well? Like I don't know if that is being spread that thin. I mean, if two of your centre halves are out injured, then yeah, your fourth centre half isn't likely to be very good. You can't just go out in January and buy another centre-half in case Tyrone Mings gets injured innocuously going up for a header. It's very clear what Villa are going to do next, I think, whenever they're in the transfer market. They're going to sign another forward because they do need another forward. It's not difficult to imagine how you can improve on Trezeguet, Trorori and El Ghazi. I think that is just glaring now at this stage. And like we said, the last couple of weeks, we do have options in midfield. They might go out to replace Barkley as well because I can't imagine we're going to sign him. But to be fair to the owners, they did spend money in the January transfer window and that was in complete contrast to every other club. Yeah. I think Wesley's back soon though. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) I have... I have moving Watkins out to the wing to win this. Yeah, I think I agree, yeah. The Vyman meter. Now, I'm going to make a case for somebody going up in the spirit of the whole Andreas Vyman and not being able to hate him. 
Trezeguet. Yeah, I was actually thinking during that first half that I might propose changing the name of the Vyman meter to the Trezeguet meter. But then I remembered, <laughs> I, I think I can never hate Vyman now that he's not at the club anymore. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He was really fucking frustrating whenever he was there. He was an absolute headless chicken. <laughs> but he tried his heart out. And that is very admirable and easy to look back fondly on. But he was terrible at football. And Trezeguet is really prone to looking a lot like Andreas Weiman on the football pitch. He is definitely the closest to him. And I was thinking even more so tonight because at the start of the season, we, we had always pinpointed Trezeguet as a weak link, along with Matt Target, who has an age as well. But, um, you know, it was it was so clear that Trezeguet needs to go. He needs to go. And then tonight, I was like, God, for the first half especially, it's good to have Trezeguet back. Even just for that that energy, the ball's like somebody so enthusiastic about showing for the ball, getting in behind, running somewhere else, coming back, like winning the ball and then sprinting forward again to make himself an option. And it actually helped so much that you had a player who was moving and willing to be tired and still receive the ball, which is something that I think a lot of people don't take into account. This is the problem. Like a lot of players, it's not that they're afraid of possession. It's that they're afraid of possession when they're tired mm. because they can't think straight. They're, they're doubting their physicality now when they're tired and, and what they'll be like when somebody comes charging into them. So they'd rather just take a breather and you know wait until they're, they're feeling better about themselves. That doesn't often happen in a match. So you need to just suck it up sometimes. You need to take that risk when you're, when you're absolutely fucked. They go and get the ball. And, and Trezeguet just does it. And I thought that it, it just helped everybody else become a bit more alert that you had this little ball of energy buzzing around the attack and ultimately like you know for no real reason but <laughs> it did wake everybody up and i i don't like sl- slagging off trezeguet because he fucking leaves everything out there yeah it's just that it's it's not much that he's bringing in the first place to leave out there I mean, yeah it is it's all effort and think about uh, Ollie Watkins' 25-yard spank. There's no way in the world he is turning down that pass if it's Jack Grealish that's on his shoulder. Yeah, But he doesn't even think about it. And I think that's <laughs> largely to do with the fact that it's Trezeguet. Trezeguet did have a couple of annoying little moments as well. He let the ball run out of play and <laughs> appealing for a corner. No one that hit, hit Obviously, he knew that it hit off him last. And Wolves got the goal kick. He was standing over the ball, letting it go out for, for a goal kick, essentially. He also tried to play target through, and he missed him by about 20 metres and hit it out for a goal kick. Mm-hmm. And then he, he made that foul. Like, oh, that was the time. Like I know it's annoying sometimes when a defender's shielding the ball and trying to, to guide it out. But Trezeguet had about 15 metres to work with there. He could have just ran around him and, and got to the other side or made him clear it, but he just grabs him by the neck and throws him to the ground. And then complains. So I actually, I can imagine that there's probably a bit of a a, a divisive reaction to Trezeguet yet again. I just wanted to make the case for him because I can I'm see not, that I'm not going to lie. You're not making a great case for him. <laughs> I want to make the case for him not going down, I know. Okay. 
Will allow it. Going up, Tyro Mings, Pedro Neto, fucking have some of that. <laughs> that was, apart from Watkins' spank, that was probably the best moment of the match. That was fucking brilliant. brilliant. And there was a moment then later on in the game in the second half where Neto turns it down then. He's, he's, <laughs> he's been charging at target for the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half. And then he's got Mings looking at him. And Mings is just looking down the wing as well, looking at the linesman, looking at the corner flag, saying, go on. <laughs> go, no, go on. And Neto just plays it back to the donker. That was brilliant. It was especially good because I think Sansom was weary of giving away a second yellow, so he wouldn't tackle mm. him properly. Target was in a bit of trouble. <laughs> Neto thought he was through. Mings read it like a book and absolutely diced him, lifting him off the ground and obviously left such a mark on him that he tried, <laughs> tried to give him a little high five and Neto pushed his hand away in petulance. Yeah. Like I, I'd say he was hurting after that. Like His ego was hurting and I'd say he was physically hurting. Do you know what the best thing or the most gratifying thing about that is that Neto caused that by being yellow. He, he pulls out of that, thinking that he's going to avoid Tyrone Mings, he can see Big Tyrone just eating up the ground, and he tries to stop, but that just means that Tyrone goes right through him. If Neto had had the courage to keep keep running, he might have just got tripped by Mings, but he just was begging to be cleaned, and he got cleaned. <laughs> going up, Emmy Martinez has to go up, right? Oh, absolutely. Emmy Martinez was absolutely amazing tonight. I mean, I assume the next person is going up is Kanza as well, because that little triangle of free players is just, it's it's so good, and it's such a change from the last couple of years for Aston Villa that it's, oh, it's amazing to see it. They're so, they're imperious, the three of them. They're absolutely incredible. Well, I wanted to make the case for Kanza going down, actually, because he has gone up so high, our expectations of him, are so grand now. You're right, that triangle is formidable. I'd say any of the top teams would love to have that. But Ezra Kanza needs to put one of those chances away and Villa win the game. Oh, I actually forgot about those fucking chances. Yeah, <laughs> Kanza can fucking do one. What an absolute waste of space. Take the 80 million now, get him off to Liverpool. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pack his bags myself. <laughs> <laughs> but like, in all honesty, yeah, you say any of the top teams would take them. I mean, what are you looking at? Like, maybe, maybe Man City, but I'd, I'd rather have Cons or Mings over Stones and Diaz. Ederson and Martinez is muchness and muchness. Van Dijk's obviously brilliant. Again, Allison and Martinez, not much in it. And then Cons is better than whoever else Liverpool are playing. I mean, it's an unbelievable three players that we've got. Yeah, and it's not even that... And it's, it's an interesting that you're only comparing it to Man City and Liverpool. Like, we don't even need to go through the rest of them. I know Chelsea have got good options. But it's like, if you took those three and, and dropped them into, yeah, the Man City team or the Liverpool team, they would still be as successful as they have been over the last few years. Like, they, those those guys would be fine in there. They would be great in there. And sure, as Paul Scholes will tell you, we, that's the only way we'll be able to figure out if they're any good at football or not. <laughs> Don't even go there. I've got one more suggestion going up. John McGinn. 
John McGinn had a very strong first half and he and he was good on the ball and he had loads of energy and he created a chance for Watkins just by sniffing out Wolves being brain dead and messing around with a ball in the middle of the pitch. And I thought he was back. This was the John McGinn that we love. Second half, the quality wasn't there, but he was absolutely insatiable again with his appetite for work. And that's that's great to see. And he put on a lot of important important yards and important tackles. So yeah, like McGinn, McGinn was good, but the second half we were so so bad at retaining the ball, and John McGinn was playing midfield. That ah, I, I think he obviously can't be not blamed for that. Yeah, I have him going up just because that that's that's what I want from John McGinn. Like that's that's what we expect from him. Like or that's what we know that he can do. Yeah, j- just being that little rat around the middle, like creating something. Through, through pure doggedness, like you know, nobody does that as well as him when he's doing it. Is actually putting players through because he's won the ball so high up because because he's so ignorant and so ambitious with his pressing sometimes. And yeah, even when he wasn't, as you said, the quality wasn't there when he wasn't as effective in the second half. I don't think he was bad like he has been maybe over the last few weeks. So I would take that from him every game compared to the last few weeks or the last few months anyway. Um, so I'm happy to to see that. And I, I will take that as a John McGinn is back again. And now that he's got six days off, then hopefully he'll be even fresher for the Newcastle game. Uh, going down, Ross Barkley, obviously. Bertie T, obviously. Um, and Jack Grealish for being on his phone for the whole match, although I can't, I can't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? No, not really. I think mean, they're they're the key ones, really. I, I don't know if Sanson fully took his chance tonight. I mean, he was he definitely showed the type of player he can be and showed the type of team that Villa can be. So that it's it's probably left a positive mark on me because of that. But no, I, I like I, I, like and we're just talking about John McGinn there. John McGinn wasn't good in the second half, and John McGinn knows that he wasn't good, and he knows the game is turning against him. But John McGinn runs himself into the fucking ground because yeah. of that. You're not going to turn around the game by just messing around in the middle of the park and just letting it by past you by doing your only high intensity runs towards your own fucking goalkeeper. Like, fucking run around, Ross. We're losing badly in midfield and you're playing in the midfield. Try. This is the classic thing. Ross Barkley is infinitely better than me at soccer. But my God, will I try hard on him, which is depressing to say. Just run. And this is the thing that infuriates fans more than anything. Because we can all accept that these people are absolutely elite level footballers. But if they're not fucking trying, then they can piss off. Chelsea are paying Ross Barkley to sit on the Villa bench. <laughs> you know, they've got it like they've got a new manager. He's actually got a chance to uh, I, I, I don't know what he's what he's going through or what's going through his head, but it needs to it needs to show more. He needs to try harder. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. What were Dean Smith and John Terry laughing about when Douglas Louise kicked that ball out of play? Should have picked Nakamba. <laughs> I have a theory that they were smugly laughing because now this is all based on my fiction that because Douglas Louise was fed up with Tyrone Mings kicking the ball out of play. So he said, I'm taking this fucking free. You get out of the way. You keep hitting it too hard. 
then he kicks it straight out of play and the two boys are there laughing, going, not that easy, is it? I I, I think I I wonder was was Dougie just in really bad form over the last two games? Was he just stinking up the chain the training ground with his with his attitude and he was demanding to get picked again and that came at the end. I think that was in the eleventh minute. And my God, have I never seen a centre midfielder be so loose on the ball for 11 minutes. Like I said, he was all over the place. He was a mess. And maybe that's what they were laughing at. They were just laughing at Christ almighty. This is the guy who's been whinging all week to get back into the team. And he's just played a 70-yard pass over everybody's head. Halfway between the corner flag and the goalposts. Christ almighty. Did that commentator really compare Jack Grealish to Wilfred Zaha? <laughs> uh, come on, I don't, I don't, well, I don't mind having a drive by on Zaha here, but I even if you're trying to make the case that it's all relative, it's not. Like Zaha's impact on Crystal Palace is nowhere near the impact that Jack Grealish has on Aston Villa. Get a life! Like that is not. A comparison that you're allowed to make on live TV. No, but also just look at the two players in yeah. question. Never mind the impact they have on the club. Just look at the two players and which one do you genuinely think is better at football? And if you think that they're comparable or if you think that it's Wilfred Zaha, then stop commentating on football. <laughs> it's, it's not the sport for you. you. You don't understand it. You can't figure out what's happening on the pitch. You're in the wrong sector of employment. Last one. Why do Sky Sports have such contempt for their Saturday product? It's it's their product. Like, they reel out, <laughs> they reel out Jamie Redknapp and Darren Bent. The, they never have Martin Tyler on, who, like, I know a lot of people don't like him anyway, but he has a bit of a, a big day feel about him. They just... It, it seems like they could do without this Saturday nonsense. And do you ever notice at halftime to, like, well, maybe this is a good strategy because it's fucking Jamie Redknapp, but they go to an ad break for three, four minutes. They come back from the ad break. Kelly Kate says, it's nil-nil here at Villa Park. Kanza should have scored. See you after this. And it goes back to an ad break. <laughs> goes on for another three minutes. It's like, what? You haven't, you haven't fucking tricked me anyway. I don't know who else. Might have fallen for this, but I'm not falling for it. You've you've come back from an ad break and you're going straight to another one. But like I say, I don't know like why I would be complaining about that with Redknapp and Benton's studio. I would rather have Ray Winston just incessantly telling me to put money on this match than listen to whatever <laughs> nonsense is about to come out of Jamie Redknapp's mouth. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. We've got a six-day break coming up. Aston Villa and us. Thanks for all the all the comments and tweets and, and emails and stuff. Genuinely they're they mean a lot. They're what keep us going. Um and if you do want to get in touch then just get us on Twitter, the Villa Podcast, or get us on the old email machine, the villa podcast at gmail.com. And if you would be so kind, maybe just like and I don't know if you can like a podcast, but maybe review it or rate it on one of those old apps as well. That that goes a long way. But but thanks a million. And if you are enjoying it, then yeah, maybe just pass it on to ten other Villa fan. I don't know who else would really listen to this, but um but Villa fans. 
Anything to add, Liam, before we go? No. Let's get, <laughs> let's get on to the fucking Steve Bruce shit show. And that is going to be a shit show. Hopefully, Jesus, did you hear the crack about him and Matt Ritchie? Shoulder bars on each other in training, calling each other cowards. <laughs> <laughs> it's all falling apart up there. And Steve Bruce is trying to say that this has only made a big thing because it's Newcastle. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Imagine that happening anywhere else. Imagine Dean Smith shoulder barging Douglas Louise in training and Douglas <laughs> Louise calling him a coward. Like, that's a story, mate. It's probably a bigger story because nobody gives a fuck about Newcastle. The only bigger story I can think of that is the fact that Steve Bruce's Newcastle, despite the fact that they picked up five wins in their first 10 games, are about to be caught by Scott <laughs> Parker's Fulham. <laughs> I think Scott Parker's going to prove us wrong, and there's a part of me that's nearly rooting for him. Hang on, hang on. Catching up with Steve Bruce's Newcastle doesn't prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think maybe that's why I'm rooting for him as well, because of Steve Bruce's Newcastle. It's, new, it's Steve Bruce's and Mike Ashley's Newcastle. Scott Parker, as annoying as he is, and as much as he fancies himself, he seems like an honest chap who's just trying to do a do a job in tough circumstances. And I, I would actually prefer, especially as well with Big Sam beneath him. So this is why I'm actually very naturally rooting for, for Scott Parker. Sam was brought in to save West Brom. <laughs> Steve Bruce is the, is the reliable anchor for Mike Ashley. And it would be great if Scott Parker's Fulham could just come from whatever, 20 points or whatever it must have been behind to to go past them like scott parker's really the jamie redknapp of the managerial world i mean he's <laughs> fairly inoffensive but at the end of the day he's fucking useless and a waste of space but yeah you're right <laughs> keep sam allardyce and steve bruce out of the premier league and scott parker will be elevated in my mind no end <laughs> sam allardyce and steve bruce the keys and gray of football management keep them out of the Premier League keep Jamie Redknapp nobody will be nobody will be hurt and on that note we'll see you on Friday do get in touch if you want and we'll chat to you then all the best that wind is calling my name and I-